hey, it's you. Good to see you. Come on in. Have a seat. Right? All right. There we go. Hey, I'm really glad you could make it to another uh, ASI episode. If I uh, haven't made your acquaintance yet, my name is uh, Russ Shaw. So yeah, this little internet talk show thing, whatever this is, this space, uh, I call it Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. It's in season six now, and it spans about 12, 12 and a half years of my life. It's a long time coming, all right? The theme of this season, some inside-out stuff, some brutal honesty, some changes that have been happening, and some changes going to come. Getting right in there, getting back to some blogging and uh, shedding intimacy disorder. What does that mean? Well, go back and listen to Season 6, started Episode 1. Caught up. Uh, But today, some bumper music. Man, really into this band. Here you go. Check this out. This is Greta Van Fleet. Here you go. Do you believe that that is true, that change is going to come, or change has come, right? It's one thing that I've realized in my life, looking back, is that things always are changing. Not just the seasons, but our lives are changing, our our desires even are changing. And at some level, we stay the same, and at some level, we get sick of stuff, and we're, we're always changing to a certain degree, but that heart stuff, you know, when you talk about a stubborn behavior, like sexually compulsive behavior, and it starts to feel like, is this ever going to change after a while? You know, this bad habit that keeps returning, you start to feel like, is seeing change even, um, even a thing, even possible? So I'll go back to the original question. Do you believe that change is going to come? Why do you want to believe that change isn't happening? 
and I want to solve a little dissonance on this show today. But going back to the question, do you believe it? Beliefs are powerful, right? Uh, one of the things that friend of mine, Derek, brought up is this question of why do you want to believe certain things? And in that statement, in that question, is a curiosity ping, right? Curiosity, I believe, is sort of like a stethoscope, right? It's a good way to listen to your heart. You put a stethoscope on, you can hear your heartbeat. And I think when it gets into this this metaphor known as the heart, this thing that causes us to be motivated to do the things that we do in our lives, that's the heart, right? Well, a broken heart has you feeling listening to your heart. Again, the stethoscope of curiosity, putting that on your heart to hear where it may be beating from. See that? Getting into some heavy metaphor shit on the podcast today, listeners, right? Uh, hey, sometimes I say swear words. Just throwing that out there. I am uh, I'm a dude who's I'm just kind of a blue-collar sort of dude, all right? And I talk like this. Uh, some of you may have an issue with that. You know, I wanted to kind of frame this podcast like you and I are just you and I, whoever you are, you're, you're listening to this on earbuds or whatever, but we're, we're sitting across the table in a coffee shop, or maybe I'm on the bus with you sitting just across and, and you're agitated by me. Maybe, uh, maybe we're sort of kindred spirits in a way. Maybe you relate to me. Uh, and maybe you're a little uncomfortable with my persona and my language and my <sighs> devil-may-care brutal honesty. Maybe some of that's going on. But whoever you are, I, I really want to. Uh, I want you to know that I that I care for you. I, I really do. Doing these podcasts, this isn't just a a weird hobby for me. Some of you I'm sitting across the coffee table from, you know me, uh, you know my story some, and you can go ahead and skip ahead about 36 minutes, 25 seconds, uh, if you want to get right to the the Red Dragon story, or Red Lizard 3.0, okay, that's what I'm talking about today, uh, this may be redundant for some of you. Uh, who who already know me pretty well and know my story. So for the rest of you, listen to the entire episode. You'll get to know me a little bit better. Uh, this thing started out as a as a blog. I had a counselor that said, hey, you know, maybe you should write some stuff down or journal or do a blog or something. And I'm ADHD and dyslexic, so <laughs> I'm not a big writer, right? And sitting down with a pad and a pencil, I do it. You know, I take notes and I, I do write things down. I do take notes, but it's, it's more laborious for me. I, I like talking. I like sitting. I like l expressing my, my thoughts via spoken word more than anything. And that's basically how this show has evolved. 
And I think over the years it got more about instruction as I listened to lectures and heard teachers influence on me and as I learned stuff and sharing some of that knowledge here. But it wasn't always all knowledge. All right. This is my story. These are some of the things I've learned over the years. And I believe I had some pride, maybe even a little arrogance over my seven years of spotless sobriety. Right. Um, I didn't use the words purity. I never felt real comfortable with that word, sexual purity. Uh, I I don't see myself as a pure person, all right? While I did have a long stretch of, of, again, sexual sobriety, to use those words, whatever that means, um, as in this show, we're working in a understanding of modern psychology and clinicians and mental health and body work. All right. Getting away from this addiction lingo, some season six. Right. So for me, trying to be, you know, pure or right, like a, a surface level disciple well, we're making disciples, you know, what, what does that mean? Right. Like there's all these, there's all this lingo and, and digging out some of that here. Um, I still had a lot of issues with, you know, trying to change my language, having a swear jar, having that not work. Right. I still habitually say fuck shit, piss and damn a lot. Uh, I still tend to self-medicate some with alcohol even, right? I'm getting better at seeing that now uh, with carbohydrates, right? Oh, comfort foods, getting better and more conscious at seeing when I'm like, oh, I just want to, there's a reason they call it comfort food, for example, right? Um one thing I do like, and I'll use uh, different ways of communicating that, is purity of like relationship, right? To purify relational face-to-face attachment or bonding or connecting, right? What does that What does that look like? Because I'm really interested in that. Like, how do we purify that? In other words, you know, you think of like water, how to purify water. We don't want to drink the water that cooled the nuclear reactor, for example, right? When it comes to what I'm putting into my body, uh, I really want that to be not toxic, right? But there was a time in my life where I wanted enough toxicity to get me by, all right? Uh, I liked getting high, Um I was getting stoned, smoking weed. I uh, started around 14. Uh, I think it was 15 the first time I tried cocaine. I drank a lot of alcohol, even as a kid. At 15 years old, I was probably a full-blown alcoholic. Uh, dropped out of high school around 16, because that's when you could do it legally back then. This was uh, the mid-80s. Um, broke into my stepfather's house. My ex-stepfather, I should say. My mom divorced. That was stepfather number one. Mom divorced him. My friends and I broke into his house. 
stole all his booze, and I proceeded to drink a half gallon of rum, which actually killed me. Uh, true story. I died for two minutes. I was flatlined. EMTs brought me back. Um, I always felt ripped off. I didn't get my near-death experience, right? Like, I don't remember. I, I didn't meet Jesus or see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I just, I don't remember. I was blackout drunk most of the day. I don't remember. Um, so the police follow the ambulance to the hospital. You know, uh, they're asked, my friends are asked where we got the booze. One thing leads to another. I'm arrested for breaking and entering. Uh, my stepfather, ex-stepfather, right? He was gracious enough to say, you know, I think Russ learned his lesson, so I'm not going to press charges. But the state of Washington had other plans and forced me into rehab. Actually, they didn't force me. They gave me a choice. They said he, I could either go to juvenile jail or go to rehab. And I chose rehab, obviously, right? But for me, rehab wasn't super helpful because I learned that I have a disease, right? It's not my fault. Alcohol's the devil. And if I ever touch the alcohol demon again because of the gene that I carry, um, I'll go off the deep end and, and, you know, be right back to being an alcoholic, breaking into people's houses again. Uh, so I didn't do hard alcohol, but I got into methamphetamine and crack cocaine, which wasn't better. Um, actually became a, a drug dealer for a while. School for me was difficult too. So I'm again, ADHD and dyslexic, uh, teachers just didn't know what to do with me. I've, I frustrated the heck out of my teachers and, uh, I was just, they, as far as they were concerned, I wasn't very smart and I couldn't learn and I wasn't going to amount to anything, um, was actually told that. All right. Not that I would, um, not that I wasn't going to amount to anything, but that, you know, I was heavily insinuated that I was dumb. Um, I wasn't as sharp as the rest of the kids, uh, and that I couldn't sit still and that I wrote everything backwards. Uh, I was actually sent to a, a special ed class where I was one of the special ed kids, which has a whole nother stigma attached to it. I'm trying to be this long-haired, cool guy drug dealer, and here I am going to special education. So that didn't last very long. I remember being in one of these classes, I wrote everything backwards, like completely backwards. Like you could hold it up to a mirror and read it. That's how... That's how heavily dyslexic I was at the time. So fast forward to me just about killing myself with drugs. And uh, I met my wife who really saved my life. You know, meeting my wife, Dana, uh, that romance and that love and that relationship. Like I could see in her somewhere she had enough love for me to not stand by and watch me destroy myself. And she loved me enough to, to, to give me some value and to tell me that I'm, I'm better than getting high all the time and trying to numb myself out. Uh, we lived together for a, a number of months, I think six, seven months. She got pregnant with my daughter, Alicia, and we got married. Um, I remember holding my daughter in my arms and just this little miracle 
because I think somewhere this negative voice in the back of my head said that my wife would leave me eventually and she would find out what kind of sick fuck I was or whatever, right? This evil negative shit voice that I had in my head telling me that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible and she's going to leave you eventually like all your other girlfriends did before her. Um, but when I held that little girl in my arms, I knew I couldn't go back to drugs again. And I didn't. And that was hard, but I didn't. You know what's funny is uh, this was like the the late 80s when the whole espresso thing, right? Like there's Starbucks everywhere now, like worldwide. But that whole thing started here in the Seattle area. I know it started in Italy, right? In Italy, the Italians were doing espresso. I'm talking about here in the States. You know, this espresso thing became a huge thing, still is. Um, but in the eighties, you know, cause we'd just drink coffee that's filtered through water, you know, here in America, Americano, right. Uh, but yeah, so the espresso thing was catching hold and, and that oddly enough really helped me with my cravings for the amphetamines and, and helped me see some, some real, um, distance. And to this day, uh, going on what, 27, 28 years that I've been clean from methamphetamine and crack cocaine. Um, and I realize that I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to, to be able to say that. Uh, I still drink some. I feel I have good self-control in that area where I didn't before. Uh, so, so that's my, my story of my chemical romances. The thing is, though, you know, I, as I started going to church and, you know, we had our daughter and we're going to counseling and um, I really believe that the Christian, the, the right, the correct Christian God, right, had set me free from my chemical romances and, and you know, I should just be grateful for that. Because my other, again, my other compulsion was pornography and I, my wife and I were watching it together for a while, but then we started going to church and I got convicted, right? I'm getting rid of the porn. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'm getting rid of the porn. Like I don't want porn in our house anymore. So I got rid of it. So she couldn't watch it anymore and we couldn't watch it together. But then, you know, the craving started for that and I could sneak it, right? It wasn't going to kill me. Uh, that led to years of pornography use, compulsive pornography use, the kind of pornography use that got darker and darker, you know, to where you're, you know, it starts out, you're watching a couple have sex, and then pretty soon you're watching gang bangs and, you know, people are bringing in animals because it's that, that thing, right? The thing that got you off last week isn't going to get you off this week, so it gets progressively worse. Um, it got to the point where I was seeing prostitutes and lying to my wife about just about everything, not being able to expose my my inner self, my inner world to her at all. Uh, and it, it was really risky sexual behavior that I was engaging in. Um, so I, 2006, that was about the time I was doing the show too. So I started the show just saying, Hey, I had this pornography addiction and you know, I've gone a year without looking at pornography. So hooray for me. And then, and, you know, I had this counselor again that, that uh, encouraged me to start a journal or whatever. That's what 
this is kind of right. And in 2006, the summer of 2006, I think around episode 40, season one, right, of this show, uh, I confessed the whole damn ugly, right, to my, my wife, my church, my community, my family, and that was brutal. Uh, the show goes silent for almost a year before I picked it back up again and felt like, hey, you know, some healings happened. I was still getting a lot of emails from a lot of people who said that the show and the message of the show was impacting them. And and uh, so, yeah, I picked it back up again. And today on the show, I wanted to uh, talk about a, a metaphor that I've used, a, a parable, you could say. As a uh, Christian mystic myself, spiritual anarchist, that's, that's how I identify. I have a hard time with the word Christian. It's just got so much weird baggage to it here in the States as an American, right? Last uh, last episode, I talked about some of my theology and going to some of the roots of Christian orthodoxy and, and how I believe about my faith today. Um, I really believe that there's a lot of this talk of purity that is behavior based when it really needs to be relationally based. Uh, I really believe that we worship a God who's face to face to face in a in a fully connected loop. All right, there's no there's no d- destruction in there. There's no hate in there. There's there's just connected loving circle. A circle dance, uh, as, as one theologian, Richard Rohr, would say, that this energy of love is is that, this higher power, whatever you would call this, this beautiful source of love that we all feel in our hearts from time to time, uh, that that love is, is God, and that God is, as my friend Paul Young would say, other-centered, self-giving energy, right? This loving, other-centered, self-giving energy in a, in a, in a complete circle. That's, that's what's pure in my lingo. If you're going to talk about purity, that's what I'm going to think of. Face-to-face, eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart, other-centered, self-giving love. And that other-centeredness is not just in a like codependent kind of way, right? That, that other-centeredness is inside the one, right? As Christians, we don't believe in a triad, three-headed God. We believe in one God that is a relationship, that love only exists in the realm of relationship. So inside that oneness is this, again, the spinning circle dance of love. So there's a, uh, again, there's this parable, there's this metaphor that I've used in the show before, and I wanted to to tease that out some here today and talk about, I wanted to do, it's the Red Lizard 3.0, if you will, and I'm calling it uh, the the red dragon and the bull. All right, this is a a parable by me. I've also so I'm 
I'm I'm stealing some stuff, all right? I don't have a whole lot of original thoughts, so I've actually married two different stories into hopefully one, and hopefully it makes sense. <laughs> okay. C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Great Divorce. In that book, he has this story of the red lizard, uh, and you can hear other shows. I talk about that story uh, in this show because it's so important how to understand um, it's again, it's a parable, it's a story. And what I love about stories is, again, as C.S. Lewis would say, that the stories get past your watchful dragons, right? Like cognitive dissonance. Um, that The definition of that, in a nutshell, from psychology, is when you're introduced to two conflicting thoughts, your mind goes to work right away to try and solve that uncomfortable feeling, that dissonance, all right? And, and like, it happens before we—we're not even thinking about it. A lot of this happens just subconsciously. For example, let's say you work in an office and your boss is named Lisa, right? And and you, you walk up behind Lisa, you tap her on the shoulder, you're like, Lisa, Lisa, and you have something important to say to her. She turns around, she looks at you, and she goes, oh, right? And you react to that inside your head in a split fraction of a second, right? You're like, oh, crap, what does she think of me? What's going on in her head? Like, that, that was a reaction. <laughs> it wasn't me. Maybe she's late for an appointment. Does she hate me? Uh, maybe she's right thinking about something else hopefully uh but but that's cognitive dissonance right our mind starts to to tell us stories and we start to try and solve that thing that we don't understand right she's like ah or ah it's you that would be even worse right your your head would go to the negative stories and things that are spinning in that mind of yours in that fraction of a second you think way faster than you can speak or write uh, or type even so that's cognitive dissonance and the reason I like stories so much and I think the reason that Jesus spoke in parables is because um, as as a Peter Rollins uh, once said that we, we actually interviewed him and he said that the stories, these parables, they're like grenades being thrown into a black and white sort of, right? Like there's this kind of like black and white, oh, I've got to solve this in black and white terms. Yes, no. And that's kind of what the Pharisees were after, right? They would ask Jesus a question. They were hoping he would react with a yes or a no or a getting defensive or something like that. But instead, he would tell a story because stories will throw a grenade at the meaning that they're after for even asking the question. Does that make sense? Meaning is a big one when it comes to psychology, philosophy. We're all searching for it. We're all seeking meaning. Um, Every single one of us are hungry and thirsty for meaning. It's what humans do. And stories tend to get right past our black and white. This is good. This is bad, right? This is right. This is wrong. This is should. This is shouldn't. Stories tend to creep past that part of our brain, that part of our meaning maker, right? That part of our reason and get to the heart. 
um, get to that part of us that processes feelings and emotions. Because without feelings and emotions, you wouldn't do anything. That's actually from cognitive neuroscience, by the way. I heard a, I heard a professor say that. You know, your smartphone, if you pull your smartphone out of your pocket, you got that on you? Yeah, pull it out for a second. Just you, maybe you're listening to this show on it right now. Um, it's maybe doing things right. It's it's downloading apps. It's maybe updating the time or the weather. Uh, it's doing these kind of motor skill things, right? Unconsciously, you could say. But the only reason that that device is useful to you is because you feel something. You feel like maybe I should check my bank account and see if I have any money in there, right? You feel like you should order an Uber, all right, or a Lyft. And, you know, the, again, you see what I'm saying? The, the reason why you would pick up that, that the, was the metaphor he used. Your brain is like that, smartphone. It's very logically based. All the logical parts of your brain, to not have emotion is to not do anything. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do anything except for just sit there, breathe, see stuff. Um, the only reason you get up and walk around is you feel like it. All right. That doesn't mean that your feelings should drive everything you do. Uh, I think it's a, it's another verse in the Bible, right? Like I don't want to be a slave to my whims. Uh, welcome to the ASI podcast, right? Like that's that's kind of what we're after here not being a slave to our whims, but whims are also feelings. And the fact is that we react in in all of the behaviors that we do, the ones we want to do or the ones we don't want to do, they all are birthed out of a feeling. So, yeah, again, the reason I tell stories, parables is, and I love parables. Uh, Peter Rollins wrote a book called the Orthodox Heretic and Other Impossible Tales. And it's just a book of stories. <laughs> it's great. I love it. It's like uh, parables, right? Written by, by Peter Rollins, who has a doctorate in philosophy, by the way, and is a, is a brilliant theologian, pyro-theologist. So, again, artwork. That's why it kind of bugs me when I hear a pastor trying to tell the congregation what this parable means. Jesus said this. Well, what does it mean? Well, let me tell you because I have a, you know, I went to seminary or something. It it would be sort for me now where I'm at now uh, with my relationship with God and understanding of theology. Uh, I think someone telling you what a parable and I've probably done it on this show too. come to think of it. I disagree with myself. I really do. There's some of those older shows. I don't agree with me anymore. All right. That's why I'm telling folks to, hey, listen to season six and you can see where what the progression looks like and where I'm at now, Um, because I do believe I've been on a road of healing and things are getting better. Uh, But I don't I don't always agree with me. (laughs) And that's okay. Uh, Sorry, that was sidebar. Getting back to my point. A great piece of art is like a parable. You know, it it would be like explaining, you hear a song, you see a movie, you look at a painting, and you go, let me tell you what the artist was trying to communicate. That would be silly, right? But that's what we do with parables. Instead of asking questions and helping others, what meaning, what do you think the meaning is in there? Or what kind of meaning is Jesus trying to blow up? 
when these guys are approaching him with that kind of question, which was usually the religious elites of the time trying to catch him in a trap of some sort. Jesus is a Jew, by the way, a brown guy. I bring that up a lot because I think that there's some people that still Christians that think that, you know, Jesus was this white dude who started a new religion. That's, that's so far from the truth. If anything, I believe that Christianity at its roots, at its core, at its most purest, to use that word, at its purest form is an anti-religion. I mean, the the elites and the people with the PhDs and the ones that went to all the Bible colleges, they're the ones that crucified God, right? Killed God. Like, that's... What? I, I, eyes that see, right? Ears that hear. The blind leading the blind. Um, anyhow, I don't want to be too redundant. I want to get right into this story. Um, the Red Dragon story, all right? This is, uh, again, from my therapist, Susan, using her name. I want to give her some credit. And uh, C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis. Uh, the author of The Great Divorce, which is a great book. I think everyone hearing, they, I think you should read it, all right? You sitting across from me, <laughs> just get this book and uh, and read it. It's, it's awesome. It's the separation of heaven and hell in the human heart, of dark and light. Um, that's another thing I've been working through in my healing process is breaking this duality, right? Black and white or even gray, um, gray isn't really a color, right? You think of a prism. You split light through a prism. It is colorful. You see colors when you get past the black and white. That's pure light filtered. <laughs> okay, getting back to that pure word again. I don't want to. I don't want to think. You know, I don't want you listeners to think I'm shitting on that word pure purity. Uh, just the behavior-based kind of nutsy, boltsy attitude towards it. That's what I'm sort of been rebelling against all these years. But I know that there's a lot of folks, like I've had emails from from folks and uh, or people who have blogged about something I said on Reddit or somewhere, and 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 they learned about me from some guy in their purity group, right? And so that so you purity purity guys are listening, and and I think that's great. All right, I'm not shitting on your thing just just so you know i love you guys i do but again i hope that you adopt more of a deeper understanding of purity face to face to face other centered self-giving love the circle dance of holy spirit god the father uh jesus the son um this 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 circle down the papa god the father not necessarily being a dude ladies there's that too um the holy spirit has very feminine language if you read the book in numbers in its original form you'll read a lot of feminine language aimed at god god the father god the spirit you know um there's no this masculine you know i'm all for love of the masculine energy but god's not just a dude all right and and something that just kind of hit me uh, i always sensitive to what may be coming up right now um 
some of you ladies and some of you guys, uh, the, the father thing, there's a wound there, you know? There's something there. Paul Young, uh, again, author of The Shack, said that it took him many years of healing to knock the face of his father off the face of God. And some of you, well, you may not be aware of it cognitively. You, you know what that feels like, right? This, this tying dad to, to that image of father, sometimes we just don't believe it. We just don't believe that God is good because of all the pain and suffering in the world. We, we just don't believe God's good, some of us. And part of this is working through that. All right. So this young person is walking on a trail. We'll call this character the traveler through a densely wooded area with lots of hills and valleys, short hills and valleys. It's warm. It's summer. Birds are chirping, the grass is green, trees are tall. And I want you to envision this in your mind. Um, this young person is you. Boy, girl, man, woman, uh, whoever you are. Uh, but it, but this is a young version of you. This is you at about 14, 15, maybe 18. Think of yourself as young. And if you are young... Congratulations, you just go look in a mirror and you'll see <laughs> what the traveler looks like. So the traveler is walking along this trail. Again, it's warm outside. You're, or the traveler, right? The feet are hitting the ground and pressing into the dirt path. Uh, there's a backpack on your back and directly in front of you, being held by both hands is a bowl and this bowl has something in it but you're not clear on what it is is it food is it like a porridge is it a soup is it um you're you're holding a bowl walking along this trail or the traveler right this character that looks exactly like you right and on your shoulder is this red dragon and this red dragon has been saying horrible things to you as you walk on the trail. It's been saying horrible things to you throughout your life. It's been telling you horrible things about yourself. It's been calling you names. It's been saying you're stupid. It's been saying, oh, you always do that. When you catch yourself messing up like all humans do, that red dragon is sitting there going, yeah, there you are. You're such an idiot, right? It's It's got all these negative little quips. And it also, every so often, throws ashes. It's, it's Sometimes it smokes cigarettes, right? You think of it, it's sitting up there smoking, saying horrible things about you, right? It's like a really negative Humphrey Bogart or someone old, one of these old black and white kind of actors just sitting up there smoking cigarettes and saying horrible things. And from time to time, it uses your bowl as like an ashtray. 
you know, sometimes it throws shit in your ashtray. Literally. Like, right? Like, here you go. Right there in your bowl. And you're like, oh. And you're, but you're carrying the bowl and you, and you, you're walking along this trail. And you run into this angel. And the angel says, I can get rid of that for you. And you're like, what? And you kind of hold your bowl close because you know whatever is in this bowl is valuable for some reason. You kind of hold the bowl close. And the angel says, oh, no, not the bowl, that that red dragon that's on your shoulder. And you go, really? You know, your eyes kind of light up. Oh, man, that would be great because this thing has been, it's horrible. Like, it's smoking. It smells bad. It's throwing crap in my bowl. It says horrible things to me every day, over and over again, sometimes all day long. If you could get rid of this red dragon, that would be, that would be great. That would be awesome. And then the red dragon is kind of looking at you. It's looking at the angel. It's looking at you. And then the angel goes, all right, if you give me permission, I will remove the red dragon from your shoulder. And keep in mind, this thing is, it's got its claws dug in your shoulder. So yeah, you're this young person, you're on this trail, but your shirt is kind of ripped because where the red dragon is sitting on, perched on your shoulder, its, its claws are actually dug in to your like collarbone. Right, and there's kind of blood, and it's sort of scabby, and and its tail is wrapped under your arm, and it's holding underneath your shoulder and around your bicep, and it is it is on you, and it is not letting go easy, right? And you know this, so the angel says, so yeah, with your permission, I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and remove the the red dragon. And you're like, okay, you know, I'll give you permission. So the angel reaches out and its hand turns into this huge molten ball of fire slash, right? All the fingertips are like like lightsabers from the Star Wars thing, right? They're all, and it's hot. And you can feel the heat coming off the hand as it approaches your shoulder, and you see the red lizard, uh, sorry, the red dragon. <laughs> the red dragon starts to, to shriek back. It starts to pull back because it sees that, oh, wow, this thing's, this is really happening, right? This, my host is going to get rid of me. And so you, uh, this, this, this character that looks a lot like you and you're younger, whether it's you or not, I just, that's up to you, <laughs> but it looks just like you, um, <laughs> just throwing that out there. This, this character sees the hand coming, realizes there's going to be pain involved, feels the red dragon dig in a little tighter and there's pain there. And then the heat coming off the hand and, and, this this traveler uh, pulls back a little bit its shoulder right away from the hand of the angel that's coming to remove or uninstall right the the red dragon the character the traveler now rethinking the decision that was made says wait and the angel stops and at that point the traveler on the road, we'll call this character, 
says maybe you don't have to kill it, right? Maybe you could just maim it. Maybe you could give it a punishment, right? And then the red dragon hearing this goes, yeah, maybe you don't have to give me the death penalty. See, it starts pleading for its life, realizing what's happening and what's going on and the reality of the current situation. Yeah, you know, uh, hey, I'll be better. <laughs> it's looking at the traveler on the road going, listen, uh, yeah, I've, I've pushed the limits. I've been horrible. You know, I, I shouldn't throw my shit in your bowl. Like, that's not cool of me. I'll be way better. It, it says to you, to the character, the traveler on the road, right? It says, listen, uh, it, this angel can kill me. He can do it. It can destroy me. And I just want you to realize the gravity of the situation. Do you really want to be alone without me? Who are you going to have hanging around and telling you stories and being your companion? What are you going to do when I'm not around anymore? And the traveler on the road is like, oh, right? I have a relationship with this thing. This realization kind of washes over the traveler. The red dragon lets go a little bit of the shoulder and nestles up close to the traveler and says, listen, I get it, man. You're mad. I would be angry too. But I'll be better. The traveler at this point whose head is faced towards the ground, realizing his shame, lifts her heavy head out of that isolated stance of staring at the ground, looks at the angel, looks at the red dragon, and with a stiff upper lip, takes a couple of foot stomps, looks directly into the angel's eyes and says, Remove it. And the angel reaches out, grabs the red dragon, and pulls it, burns it. It's screaming. It releases its clutches. Its tail goes straight. Its claws come out. The traveler, too, is in obvious, noticeable pain. The angel pulls it off the traveler's shoulder, throws it to the ground, and it, it, it evaporates into, like, ash. Right there on the trail. The traveler, he stands there just just in pain with his jaw and his teeth clenched tightly, both hands and arms gripping her bowl as she just braces herself as not to, to let it spill all over the place. The angel reaches out, touches the place where the, the dragon used to be, and, and it's bleeding, and it's burnt, and it's pussy. And the angel heals, heals this, this wound on, on the shoulder of the traveler. There's a, there's a small scar there where the dragon used to be. Um, and then the angel says, um, listen about your bull. And the traveler says, yeah, you know, the, the bowl I'm holding, it, it, there's something about it that's precious. There's something to the contents of this bowl 
that's that's a value and the angel says yeah that's that's your life that's your essence is in that bowl and while the red dragon may not be around anymore you have some work to do you have some work to do when it comes to removing out of that bowl what you don't want and the traveler says you mean there's some things in the bowl that are toxic and the angel kind of crouches down to get at eye level with the traveler because this angel is huge it's like 15 feet tall right and it it, it crouches down gently with very loving energy much like a, a a father or mother would do with a child looks the traveler in the eye and says yes there is some toxic stuff in that bowl and there's also some stuff in there you may want and is valuable to you and there's some stuff in there that you don't want and it's not necessarily toxic you just don't want it in there anymore And then the traveler, she says, well, how will I know the difference? The angel says, because you can see now, the red dragon's wing is no longer hanging there, blocking your view of the bowl. And the angel, whose face is lit up with loving acceptance, looks down at its hand, while the right hand is still starting to smolder, right? It's it's still hot. There's still a little flame coming off it. The angel takes the left hand and puts it right in center of the traveler's chest and says, you will know the way. You will know what to subtract from your bowl from here. You will know in your knower the angel again smiling puts his hand into a fist with one index finger touching the center of the traveler's chest and says with you is the essence handed down from the stars from the creation of the universe itself a gift that is your life from the creator the higher power, the inner divine. The traveler looks down and sees where he, she has been touched, right? And and the, the chest is like transparent and sees this little glowing like orb right inside there. And the traveler looks up at the angel and says, did you just give that to me? And the angel smiles and says, no. It's always been there. The traveler looks back up at the angel and says, I can see it now. I thought before I was utterly depraved that it was just flesh and bone and disease and darkness and utter depravity in there. I can see it now. I can see that light. And the traveler says, well, how come I didn't know it before? And the angel says, because the red dragon 
had kept you from feeling it there. It blocked you from feeling it there. It's always been right there in your body. The angel's expression changed to one of concern as it looked in the eyes of the traveler and said, And from now on, you're going to be sensitive to it. You're going to realize that it's there. For years, the red dragon wouldn't let you feel. And now, without that strong red dragon presence in your life, you're going to feel stuff now. You're going to realize what's floating around in your bowl. The traveler, while looking at the angel's head, starts to drop towards the direction of the bowl, breaks eye contact with the angel and takes a sniff, looks down at the bowl and pulls out this chunk of debris, which quite possibly could have been the red dragon or a piece of it. A slightly disgusted expression appears on the traveler's face as two fingers reach in and pull out this long, kind of stringy, ash-like substance and throws it from the bowl. A smile runs across the angel's face as it says, See? You've already started. The traveler says, started what? The angel says, pulling things from the bowl. Things that you don't want there. The traveler says, yeah, that that was stinky. How did I not smell that before? Oh, yeah, the red dragon, right? That thing smelt itself. It's no wonder I didn't know what was going on in my bowl. The traveler looks at another thing in the bowl and pulls it out. The angel smiles and says, yes, this is the process of subtraction. There is already good in your bowl. There is already enough in your bowl. There is nothing that you lack. Everything you need is in that bowl. But there's some things you're carrying that you don't need. They are way too heavy and you were never meant to carry them. The traveler smiles and says, There's good stuff? Great stuff, the angel says. In my bowl? In your bowl? The traveler pulls out another wad of green, gooey, mucus-like substance and flicks it onto a tree. The two giggle and laugh. The angel says, I must be going now. But I want to leave you with something. The traveler says, what? Anything. And thank you so much. The angel says, listen, there's other travelers. And some of them still have red dragons. And some of them have scars where the red dragons used to be. But they all have bowls. And some of them are trying to understand what's going on in their bowl. And it would be good with you if you could walk with some of them. The traveler kind of scoffs and says, I've seen other travelers. They don't have a bull or a dragon hanging on their shoulder. The angel says, you just can't see it. They hide them well. 
They're under their cloaks. And the angel said, remember, at the top of the mountain, there's a ledge, and everyone is going to meet there, eventually. But for now, we're all traveling on a path. Does everyone have a red dragon? The angel says, no, but everyone has a bowl. And we decide what we're going to keep in our bowl. The angel touches the head of the traveler with its hand that is not uh, on fire or smoldering anymore. The angel says, one day we will all meet on the ledge. And there's beauty there that you can't even imagine. I will see you that day, my traveler friend. The angel turns and looks towards the top of the mountain, turns back and looks at the traveler and says, I will see you on that day. And then in the blink of an eye, shoots out towards the mountain into the sky and into the stars. The traveler looks down at the bowl with this new sense of clarity and continues along the trail. The traveler who once was looking down at the ground in shame is now standing up straight, walking with the bowl, and continues on up the mountain to the destination all travelers will hit one day, right there at the ledge, the unexplainable beauty of the ledge. The end, all right, to be continued, I don't know. That's how I'll I'll choose to end that story. Uh, I wanted to point out a few things that that signify um, the traveler is you, of course. That's how I kind of start the story. I just sort of let this blah come out. All right, I hadn't. I, this wasn't written down. I just kind of married these two stories together, just right there, <laughs> as that as that came pouring out of me. So. So yeah, the, the traveler's you and the traveler's me. The red dragon is addiction or compulsive behavior that was birthed out of my lack of impulse control. All right, Kind of like not being able to not pull on that little string that's hanging out of your sweater, right? Don't pull on that. You know, well, I continued to pull on my little strings until they turned into a big red dragon. That's a whole nother metaphor. All right. Whole nother analogy. The other travelers on the road are our real friendship with people who are in your world and are not afraid to show you their red dragon and maybe even expose some of the junk in their own bowl. Um, the bowl represents your life and, and what do you want? What do you want in your bowl? And listen, we don't get to choose always what's tossed in our bowl, right? Uh, for me, the, the process of subtraction has been this last few years of therapy and really being serious about healing my wounds, and realizing what's in my bowl and what I don't need there. That's why I talked about what I talked about on the last show, because I think it's important that uh, we understand 
that some of the religious among us have a longer road to travel. Um, our red lizard has language that will keep it perched there. All right. Fear oozes off of the red dragon. Um, its feces are little fear turds that land in our bowl. All right. And they scare us from opening up ourselves to others, being real, being honest, being authentic. Um, the bull is uh, my my therapist Susan had this this metaphor of the bull, and it's just so brilliant because you get to decide what's in your bull. This process of healing. This process of subtraction, as Richard Rohr would say, is pulling from that bowl the chunks of fear, bitterness. Um, if there's things in the bowl that you don't want there, there are people that will help you remove that stuff from the bowl. And this is your life, man. This is your life. It's your bowl. You, get, you decide what stays in there and what comes out. But there's beauty in the bowl. And your bowl lacks nothing. Alright? On a heart level, your bowl lacks nothing. Uh, a few other credits I guess I'll throw in there. Um, Dan Hazen. Uh, pastor at Allen Creek Community Church in Marysville. He's the one that I heard say, knowing in your knower. Like there's something, there's a spiritual yes that goes on inside of the heart when you when you know in your knower. Uh, that's where I got that from. ACDC, Stiff Upper Lip is a song by those guys. Uh, um, the Ledge is from the band Gratis Van Fleet. Uh, these guys are, are awesome. You can check them out. There's a Spotify playlist for this podcast, by the way, uh, ASI Podcast Bumps, if you want to search for that. Um, and follow the band, Gratis Van Fleet, all right? They send notifications. You get to know when the bands come to your town, which is pretty cool. Um, I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. That's the... Uh, Red Lizard Story 3.0, the story of the red dragon and the bull. Uh, till next time, I, I love you guys. I, I do mean that sincerely. I, I do this show, and I hope it makes sense, some of this stuff. Uh, Russ at ASI247.org. If I don't answer your email, chances are I didn't get it. Uh, some funky things going on with my email. C. Russ Shaw, the letter C. R U S S S H A W at Gmail. That's my personal email address. Email me at that. You can do that. Until next time. <laughs>